0: Welcome to the Revision Legal Podcast, where we talk about legal issues in the online world and help people that make money online. Uh, I'm Eric Mastarevich, partner with Revision Legal, and joining me is John
1: DiGiacomo. John, how are you? I'm great. It's been a long time since we've done one of these. Uh, we have not gone away, so uh, it's good to be back.
0: It is. I, I missed our podcasts. They're they're fun to do. They I think they're useful to people, um, and I... I'm happy we're doing it again. Yeah,
1: I am too, and I'm really excited to do this one because I think a lot of people are going to be into it because we're talking about Making a Murderer, which is the hottest Netflix series right now.
0: It's addicting. I mean, we started watching this. I think we finished it in probably like three or four days, but that was being, you know, showing some restraint and going to bed in a reasonable (laughs) hour because you start watching this and you just cannot get enough of it.
1: Yeah, we watched it in a weekend. We we did not show restraint, but it was one of those weekends where we didn't want to get out of bed, which yeah. we can do because we don't have kids yet. So, <laughs> yep. I said I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this. I only have one couple more months of this left, and then uh, then it's gone. So I'm gonna enjoy this this binge watch. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Then you'll be watching, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of Frozen and yep. Minions and. Um, Cars, All the Pixar movies, basically.
1: I can't wait.
0: <laughs> yeah. They're actually not bad. Inside Out was really good. I loved that movie.
1: I'll check it out.
0: It's good. It's really good. Um, so, yeah. So, Making a Murderer, um, everyone's probably familiar with it, the story about um, a man, Stephen Avery, who was accused of this crime, a sexual assault crime, in 1985. He goes to prison for 18 years Finally, it comes out that he, he was exonerated by DNA evidence, and he's out. He's free, and he's suing the county uh, up in, in Manitowoc County in Wisconsin for their actions to jail him wrongfully. And turns out there's a lot of kind of question marks as to the investigation that went into Avery. Things are not looking good for the county.
1: Yeah, they didn't look good at all. And and so in 2005, he was then, you know, he was suing the county at the time. He had this lawsuit for $36 million pending. And then he was arrested and charged in another murder. And it all arose out of this photographer who was a photographer for um, one of the car magazines. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, Auto Trader, I think. Um, she Teresa Halbach was her name. She came to his house as she regularly did because he and his family owned a junkyard and she was taking pictures of a car that he was going to sell and all of a sudden she disappears and it's unclear as to whether or not he was the last person who saw her um, and the police the same police who were you know, previously involved in his wrongful conviction in 1985 are now investigating him for murder. Yeah
0: and it- it's just a swing of circumstances that's hard to imagine of being locked up for 17, 18 years, getting out. And then all of a sudden he's in a murder trial. And, you know, we say this, all of a sudden he's in a murder trial. You know, it sounds like we're saying he doesn't deserve to be in a murder trial. Uh, Of course he he went through this trial and, and we'll go over some of the evidence and our thoughts on it, but he was ultimately convicted. So, you know, this idea of, was it, is it wrong? Well, we're stuck with this. Well, a jury of his peers said he was the murderer. And so, you know, when I know I, I won't be able to help it, I'm going to be able to talking about this. It's going to sound like I don't think he should have been convicted because I don't, I I think there was plenty of reasonable doubt. Um, But now here he is, he's a convicted murderer. He's back in jail.
1: Right. I agree with you. I think there's a distinction to be made between, did he do it, which is the question that we have no real uh, certain answer to, and should he have been convicted based on the evidence that was presented? Yeah. Um, I think no, just like you do, I, I suspect. And the tough thing is that we're seeing this through a documentary. We don't know what evidence was presented. I know that the prosec- the special prosecutor in the case, uh, Ken Kratz, has come out and said that Um, there was more evidence that was 90% of the evidence was not disclosed in the documentary. And so, you know, obviously we're making these decisions or these having this discussion on the basis of evidence that was presented to us through a, a kind of informal fashion. But based on what we've seen, it's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I know there's more evidence. I know the movie is one sided. Um. I've read some articles about some of the other evidence. It, I don't think not it good. It doesn't clear anything up. I mean, okay. there's some stuff that I think makes Avery look a little more suspect. I guess he called her a couple times and protected his phone number. And then apparently called her after she was supposedly disappeared and did not protect his phone number. Like he was trying to build an alibi. I guess he answered the door like in a towel before when she arrived. And I think she had, um, I think he called and, like, specifically requested her to come a couple times from the magazine. I don't know. To me, that's nothing compared to the questions that the the defense raised. And, you know, everyone can talk about this. I think everyone gets a a great idea to kind of play attorney, play juror, and to look at all this evidence and think about it. You know, what I think is maybe useful for, for us to talk about is, this is the first time a lot, that many people are exposed to the courtroom, the criminal procedure process, and how attorneys can use the, the burdens that they're either up against or the power that they have to you know, do their job. And we see it here with, I think everybody was pretty impressed with the job that these defense attorneys did. They seemed to Uncover this, you know, every stone they could, and they seem to be approaching it from such a logical and thoughtful position. And then you have the prosecutor, which everyone, according to the Yelp reviews that we're going to talk about later, is, was disgusted with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the defense attorneys, and I'm sorry, I don't have their names in front of me, but the defense attorneys who represented Avery, I thought were just incredible. And you know me, I'm skeptical of attorney skill sets. And uh, I like to bash bad attorneys frequently. But <laughs> the way their ability to think and speak on their feet was so incredible that I, I just sat there and awe. And I, I thought, this is the type of attorney that I want to be 10 years from now. <laughs> they yeah. were just so incredible.
0: I thought they 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 just seemed to be able to undercut the evidence that the prosecutor presented at, at every step,
1: and very eloquently too. It was and clearly, uh, which is very difficult because jurors aren't necessarily always highly intelligent, but they clearly communicated to the jurors why that burden was not met.
0: Right. Yeah. No. I, I agree. But then you know the actions of attorneys and in, in you know good attorneys, bad attorneys. You know we're not here to to make any. Final judgments on this, but you know the prosecutor going out and giving a long press conference going into details about a confession that was clearly not a true confession from a a essentially mentally incompetent sixteen year old was a terrible decision and it was a horrible decision it, it, it's not just that was a bad decision it's it i think it was probably not the right thing to do when you hold the power as the prosecutor.
1: Absolutely, and we should get into that more deeply. So, this trial happened in 2007, and it was prosecuted by a special prosecutor, Ken Kratz, who was from Calumet County, which is a different county than Manitowoc County, where this crime occurred. And the reason this guy, Ken Kratz, was brought in was because uh, there was some skepticism as to whether or not Avery could get a fair trial within Manitowoc County because he was previously wrongfully convicted there. And he so, was suing them. Was yeah, and he was suing them. them. Yeah, absolutely. So this Ken Kratz guy comes in, he, you know, obviously is, he's intrigued by the media and he he gives this press conference um later on in a second trial that it just it was uh it was not a good idea by any means. And I guess should we discuss the the was he cousin brendan dassey
0: right yeah yeah yeah, so dassey is is apparently stephen avery the 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 prime suspect Brendan dassey is his cousin, he lives on the same essentially property, he's sixteen, and from all accounts he is um you know of diminished mental capacity, yeah, and I think I, they
1: said he had an i q of about seventy
0: yeah and and the cops bring him in. And he gives some statements and he doesn't really say anything of of, of value. And then they kind of bring him in again and again. And the videotaped confession of this guy, it's appalling. I mean, you can't even, the officers are just feeding him what to say. And this kid is clearly trying to say whatever they think they want to hear. I mean, he is just trying to appease the officers. He has no idea of what's going on. He thinks he's going to go back to class.
1: Yeah. He thought he was going to go back to class. That is the most surprising component of it. He just, he thinks, well, now that I've given you the answers that you needed, can I, he, I think he had a project due or something like that He had that, a
0: project in sixth hour. And he thought if he told the cops that he was involved in the rape and murder of a woman, he was just going to go get, go ahead and go do, do his class project. I mean, he had no idea who was on his side, who was not on his side. You know, they didn't really go into whether or not they had the parents' permission. I know the cops said they did. The mom disputed it. That wasn't really brought up a whole lot. But it's just amazing that a prosecutor would take that statement and go to the press and, you know, and that statement was uh, was also a primary uh, – it was also used in trial. And this, this tale of Dassey and, you know, slitting Teresa's throat and shooting her and all of this stuff, I mean, it, there's no possible way that is true because there's absolutely no evidence to support it.
1: Yeah, that's really the tough part. It's that – if, there, if these things occurred, where's the physical evidence? So, for example, Dassey testifies to, um, you know, she was chained to the bed, and then I raped her. And then, and again, these are, all, this is, these are all components of a very coerced confession that you can only get the sense of if you watch the video. And thankfully, it was recorded. But he testifies that he then slit her throat on the bed. And so where's the bed? Where's the blood evidence? I mean, you don't slit somebody's throat on a bed and not have any DNA evidence. And then when you test the surrounding area and you find other DNA that it is not tying this individual to the murder, it tells you that the scene wasn't clean. So yeah. like all of the inferences that you would expect to see from that type of evidence are are entirely absent, but yet you've relied on this confession not only in a press conference but also to prosecute two individuals uh, and to give them ultimately life in prison that's just absolutely insane to me
0: and it's impossible to clean the scene the the house is a disaster it was a disaster (laughs) there's stuff everywhere (laughs) i mean there it would be impossible to clean it unless you just took everything out and 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 just it would be impossible i mean if you really shot someone in there or slit someone's throat there's going to be blood Everywhere. And the fact that there was just none, uh, it's just how there was such an enormous hole. There were so many enormous holes in the prosecution's theory of the case that it was so depressing to see that they were convicted.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. One thing that struck me as incredibly odd was there was this missing, this deleted voicemail. And so I keyed in on this because we do a lot of electronic evidence work. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this cell phone was turned on at some point. The cell phone has to triangulate between these cell phone towers. There are these uh, triangulation records that are associated with a cell phone tower that will tell you a relative position of where this individual was. So the cell phone was on. Somebody checked the voicemail. Where is that evidence? Like, the prosecution – it seems like the prosecution didn't even bother to get it. They just kind of ignored it. Maybe that's a component of the documentary not giving us all the information. But things like that would have told us a lot more about where was this person when they died? Were they even on the property? Did the cell phone provide evidence that they were on the property? Uh, There seems like so many holes there.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know – was it her ex that admitted to checking her voicemail? But he, he did. He didn't delete anything? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I, I want to mention before I forget about it is there is – and you might have picked up on this too, but there was a distinct difference between Avery's defense and Dassey's defense, and that difference had everything to do with money. Avery's defense was so much more sophisticated, and they were able to obtain so much more evidence – because of Avery's ability to spend a significant amount of money on his defense that it was like night and day. And and for the, the people who are listening, Avery was able to spend this money on his defense because he was forced into settling, at least from my perspective, forced into settling the lawsuit against the county. So it almost felt as if the county had asserted this leverage on him, he settled it for around $400,000 and he turned around and used that directly for his defense. And then you've got Dassey who had – no defense. I mean, if I was defending Dassey and I had he was paying me money, I probably would have hired an expert to testify as to his capacity as an individual. And then I would have hired an expert on uh, coerced confessions. But none of those things appeared in that documentary, which indicates that they didn't exist. And, and it kind of tells me that there was a vast disparity in uh, the level of defense that was given because of a lack of money.
0: Yeah, I, I wish the, you're completely right. You know, court appointed attorneys and retained counsel, um, you know, it's usually a matter of time and resources that they're able to devote to a case. Now, it's not saying all court appointed attorneys are bad. It's usually a matter of time um, it is. that they have too many files to to uh, dedicate a lot of time to one, um, you know. I have people, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, well, should I get a court-appointed attorney or not? And, you know, for the somewhat um, routine, you know, DUI or maybe drug possession charge or or something like that, you know, court-appointed attorneys can do a terrific job. Number one, they're the people that know the prosecutors the best and the judges the best because they're there every day, all day. Um, And so court-appointed attorneys, they're, they're not any less qualified as an attorney. It's just when you pay someone a lot of money, they can block out everything and they can dedicate a lot of time to a file. And so I think that's the huge difference. And yeah, there was, you know, in Brendan Dassey's case, what I would have wished would have happened was the, the Northwestern Law Clinic that got so involved in the post-trial motions. Where were they for the trial? Absolutely.
1: I, I said <laughs> exactly the same thing.
0: I mean, they, they said they already knew about it and they were watching it. Well, it would have been a lot more useful to be at the trial. than they, you're up against it in post-trial motions. Nothing is going to be in your favor. Yeah, I wish they would have been there for the trial. I
1: think. Yeah, it's like, it's totally it's the Sisyphus problem that you're trying to push a boulder up a hill at post-trial, yeah. where at trial it's it's just nothing like that at all. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, just to make the point clearer, you have. You represented a murderer in an acquittal. You you were in a case like this. I mean, what kind of time are we talking about for preparation?
0: Alleged murderer.
1: Alleged murder. I apologize.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, thanks for thanks for catching that. Yes. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, it's incredible. I mean, when you have someone's um, life is on the line, you know, if if they lose, they're going to prison for their entire life. You spend all the time you have um, on it. You know, I think um, when you're dealing with criminal trials like this and a lot of it comes down to testimony from like other people, it becomes a bit of a circus uh, as compared to a lot of civil trials where you're dealing with documents, you're dealing with hard proof, that, you know, this, I lost this much money after you breached this agreement. You know, you're relying on people's memory and what they're going to say in court and how they appear in court and can they be believed? Does the jury believe them? It's really a fascinating process. Um, but yeah, it's a heavy weight to hold as an attorney to have that kind of, um, you know, so that kind of responsibility. That you know, if you cannot defend this person, um, they're going to go to jail for the rest of their life. And you know, in our case, it was uh, our, our defendant was alleged to um, essentially be a part of aiding and abetting a shooting um, by making certain phone calls, and we were able to to cast reasonable doubt into whether or not he was really directing a hit essentially um and so yeah it was, it was super fulfilling and uh but it was incredible incredible time commitment to it of you know two or three attorneys were working on it and, and we were court appointed at that point so you know we did our job i think it was one of the first uh, not guilties on a first degree murder case and
1: uh, it's a hundred years wasn't it? a long
0: time yeah yeah it was, it was fun
1: yeah and it's it stays with you forever, like any big case i've got you know I obviously do civil stuff um but i've I've had cases like that where it stays with you forever and i you can see it in the eyes of the defense attorneys in this documentary because even far after they were no longer getting paid, they were still just so upset about it and they felt like an injustice had been done um and I'm sure they'll think about it for the rest of their lives. Because you're so invested in that time and you're so invested in that client. It's it's just uh it's something that the public will never really understand about what we actually do.
0: Yeah. It it things we go to bed thinking about our cases and we wake up in the middle of night thinking about them, and, and they do stay with you. And you think, well, what if I would have done that differently? Or did I request this? Did I receive that? It's uh, it's an all consuming job, and you know, we always laugh that. Some days we question why you are an attorney because it is very, very stressful, um, and it's a tough job sometimes. And and you have these cases that you pour your all into, and then uh, you get the exact outcome you don't want. That's really demoralizing.
1: It really is. And if anyone ever tells you that attorneys don't lose or that they have a a completely winning record, then they're lying to you (laughs) because we do. Yeah, and this case was a lot about
0: what happens when the state comes after you with the power yeah. of the state. And, you know, there's a video on YouTube, we'll try to find it, put it in the show notes of um, why you should never talk to cops. And it's I think it's about 45 minutes long, but it's a law professor that puts out these uh, scenarios of, doesn't matter if you had nothing to do with it. The way you answer questions can incriminate you, even if you are not, have nothing to do with it. So always the advice is never talk to the police, make him have an attorney. You know you have to have an attorney present. Uh, don't have uh, Len Kaczynski as your your uh, <laughs> attorney. But the power of the state, you know, when they can trot up witnesses in full police uniforms and they get up there and testify, public wants to believe cops. I mean that's all there is to it. And I think this jury. There was a wrong. This woman died. She was killed. There was – and and they probably wanted to correct that. You know? Yeah,
1: there was definitely a sense of um, these people, the, this Avery family, as being outcasts of that community. And regardless of whether or not they had done it, there was at least some underlying sense that they needed to be excluded from that community. And it was a small town. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, police authorities – uh respected and you know it should be but you're right (laughs) the general rule is you don't talk to the police right and it's not because you know they're bad people but they're doing their job and their job is to get information from you and that information needs to be controlled when it's released so as always you should talk to an attorney about these and and, you
0: know when the when the police are investigating someone they don't have to tell the truth i mean they they you know when they go and tell brendan dassey Hey, you know, we got your back, you know, just tell us, you know, what happened. We got your back. You know, that's not, I don't know. I don't think it's unconstitutional to do that. Um, But it is one of the ways that they can trick people into saying things. And it's probably pretty effective. Uh, But I think in, in Dassey's case, it wasn't effective because they tricked him into telling the truth. He was just saying things.
1: Yeah, he was just saying things, but he also had some pretty terrible counsel. So let's talk a little bit about this – well, at least from my opinion. We don't know objectively if he's terrible or not, but Len Kaczynski. Len Kaczynski is this guy who was appointed to represent Dassey, and he (laughs) – strange – I don't know why he did this. Maybe you can shed some light into it, but he hired a quote-unquote investigator and the purpose of this investigator was to, um, you know, theoretically investigate investigate the crime and get Dassey to provide a true uh, statement of the the actual happenings of, the, of that day. What really happened was that, or at least what appeared to be happening, is that there was a deal in the background where Kaczynski was going to get him to plead and to turn on Avery. And the purpose of this investigator was to get Dassey to testify as to his prior, the elements of his prior confession. And so this investigator meets with Dassey, the investigator breaks him down, he he gives him a statement, he signs the statement, and then the investigator calls Kaczynski and says, hey, I got the statement, he's cooperating, what do you want me to do? And Kaczynski tells him to call the, I think it was the Department of Justice, and have his client testify directly to the Department of Justice. And he does, without an attorney, which is crazy.
0: I, I, have no, I have no idea what this investigator was there to do other than to put Brendan Dassey's... It seemed like the only reason was to get Dassey to admit to things that would help in the Stephen Avery trial. I have no idea why you would have it was it was completely bizarre it's you cannot explain why this happened it was I was just watching this just shaking my head just going what is going on here I mean, he and he did he acted just like the cops he put all the ID, he told them what to draw he told them how to draw a picture of her in the bed he told them exactly what to say It was an abomination. It's and then and then all of that what he said was used in his own trial in Brendan Dassey's own trial against him. It was incredible, and it's so disappointing. Not only that, I don't know what the plan was by his own attorney to do this, but then that the fact that the trial court, court of appeals, and supreme court all upheld the admission of that evidence against Brendan Dassey is
1: so disappointing. Disappointing is light. I would say it's absolutely disturbing. <laughs> it I, is. It is. And I think that was the tenor of the whole documentary is that this is just so disturbing. You have to take a shower after you watch it because for Kaczynski to let this kid who is clearly you know not highly functioning get in a room with skilled police investigators and then provide testimony after he had already mistakenly provided coerced testimony is just insane.
0: It's not.
1: And then Kaczynski, you know, he eventually gets released because Dassey's mother fights him and she says, I can't believe you did this and pushes and pushes and pushes. And finally, you know, not willingly, but after a while, the judge in that case gets rid of Kaczynski and then, you know, Dassey gets convicted and in the post-trial motions, uh, his substitute counsel tries to argue that, Kachins, that he needs a retrial on the basis that there was ineffective assistance of counsel in the prior hearing. right? Which is – it's it's sad because, as you said before, these post-trial motions and the appellate practice are subject to such a higher standard that Dassey was just destroyed by this, this moment of poor representation, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, poor representation or – I mean – it was prosecution by his own attorney. It was. It was completely bizarre. I've never heard of anything like that. And, and the fact that the trial court judge dismissed Kaczynski for allowing this unsupervised interview with the police and but then did not overturn uh, or grant the motion for a new trial is conflicting there. You know, wow. Why'd you get rid of him then if it wasn't bad? You know, it it is just awful.
1: It's awful. And then the the judge himself during the sentencing, uh, during Avery's sentencing, which I thought was really odd, and maybe you have more, I mean, you you do have more experience with this than I do, but he made comments about the heinousness of Avery's crimes or purported crimes that... I thought were a little over the top, and and then later he was the guy that was deciding those post-trial motions. It felt really unobjective. Is that common in criminal cases?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it is. Right? Yeah, I mean, the judge holds all the power, and I don't think it's terribly uncommon for a judge to kind of add that color commentary uh, during sentencing. Um, you know the evidence is in the facts were found he was found to commit a murder and that 's that 's what the facts the judge has yeah that 's a good
1: point, regardless of whether or not the judge thinks he's he did it or didn 't do it he is he did it he legally did it he legally so, did it yeah. yeah at that point he he can say whatever he wants with respect to that with with respect to his actions So you 're absolutely right on that
0: yeah yeah but it's it's the whole show is just incredible. I mean, I guess now it seems like the only chance of something getting overturned is this uh if they can figure out a test to to test that blood in the car for the the um there was Stephen Avery's blood was allegedly found in the victim's car. And there was some evidence that seemed to say maybe that blood was planted there. And if that blood was taken from this vial that was in police custody and planted, it would have this preservative in it called EDTA. And sounds like some very suspect FBI testimony came in that prove there was no EDTA, but it sounds like if the technology can catch up and create a test that is more scientifically sound, that is a chance to free them.
1: Yeah, I wish they would have went more into that because as you know, and we deal with this in civil cases, there's a test that applies called the Daubert test, which tests the scientific rigor of, you know, a certain method to determine whether or not it meets a constitutional standard and i wish they would have gone into that because it was interesting to me that that testimony got in and i wonder what the ruling on the testimony was um so i, I maybe we'll see that in the post the post documentary commentary but it's pretty interesting stuff
0: yeah i would have liked to see if that i would have liked to see what issues they raised on appeal because yeah that certainly seemed like the biggest one to let that evidence in um seemed like the most clear path to a reversal
1: but i don't know well let's talk about let's talk about these two weird characters kaczynski and then the special prosecutor ken kratz because post uh post this trial and post documentary they've received some interesting uh, some interesting press and they've gone on to do some pretty interesting things so do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah
0: well hey we said the defense attorney is this is a case that's going to stay with them forever I have a feeling this is a a case that's going to stay with Ken Kratz forever now, too, uh, because of this documentary. Uh, Ken Kratz, uh, spoiler alert, was involved in some sexting scandal with domestic abuse victims. Uh, He always came off, and maybe it was spun that way by by the documentarians, but... He was not an exactly uh, a hero of this documentary, and he came off bad, I think, all throughout the entire thing. And the public has taken their voice to yelp to explain to the world how much of a terrible person they think Ken Kratz is. And if you go on Ken Kratz's, he's, he's not a uh, prosecutor anymore. He's a private uh, practicing criminal defense attorney. The Ken Kratz law firm is subject to... Uh, 131 Yelp reviews right now and they are the majority of which are all based on this documentary and are uh pretty funny i guess funny for me not funny for ken because these are uh, these are very very bad uh to someone's reputation
1: yeah, let me read one of them. Sure. <laughs> this is not for children. If you want to be sexually harassed by a man with a falsetto voice, this is the place for you. Also, if you have cases where you want to support the misconduct of the police, the courts, and the entire justice system, this is your man. Think of a sexual muppet with no morals or values. That's him. <laughs> I like the ones that call him sir, like they want to show him some of, <laughs> sir,
0: you are p- pure evil. It's like, wow, you really had to put the word sir in there before your insult? <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't know what the public thinks they're really achieving by writing those kinds of stuff, but um, it's, so it's a problem, right? And it's a problem for Ken Crass, but it's also, to a lesser extent, this type of... Public review is can be a problem for any business.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's a trial by uh, you know public. Well, it's really a trial by really rhetoric more than anything else. And, and sometimes it's hilarious, like in this case. Sometimes it's unfortunate. Um, and, and these companies like Yelp and like Wikipedia. If he had a Wikipedia page, it was probably edited. Have started to take some action, such as this Yelp's active cleanup alert. And if you actually go to the Kratz Law Firm Yelp page, you'll see that Yelp is considering uh, cleaning up some of these reviews in light of the publicity that he's received. And then Wikipedia has this thing that alerts readers when there's an, an article that's being considered for deletion because of some, uh, you know, hacking or they believe that it's not relevant to the actual factual content that should be in the article. But. At the end of the day, these are Google bombs. And, you know, our, our colleague uh, who is now past, John Dozier, wrote this book called Google Bomb back in the day, um, which is about this strategy. And the strategy is to destroy a person's reputation by posting to these sites that you can't get content taken down from.
0: Yeah, it's a real problem. I and mean, we've had a lot of people call us with uh, complaints about reviews on third-party sites that are terrible, and they, everyone, I, I read reviews, you know, I'm going to a restaurant, I'm going to check out Yelp reviews, I'm going to check out Google reviews. Um, these have an impact on, on, on how the public reacts and judges things and makes decisions about their purchasing power, and so these things matter. And when you have these terrible reviews about your business, you know, if someone makes false allegations about, you know, health inspection reports or, you know, problems with, you know, items being in food, that may seriously damage your business. And it could be a completely untrue statement.
1: Absolutely. And we've seen this a lot with licensed professionals like lawyers and doctors. We've done a lot of doctor defamation cases where a lot of the information is just untrue and you know especially in the cases of doctor defamation, the doctors understand the diagnosis or they understand the process and the patient doesn't. And so the lack of communication or the a breakdown in communication results in these bad reviews. And they come to us asking us to clean them up. There's a piece of law in the United States called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And we've talked about this before, but it's a it's a piece of law that says that Yelp and other sites like it cannot be held liable for the republication of defamatory statements because effectively they are a computer service provider. And it's a little bit different than Europe because we have a little bit stronger uh, free speech laws. In Europe, they have uh, kind of a notice and takedown system where if you're provided notice that something is defamatory and you don't take it down, then you can be held liable. So the United States, because we wanted the Internet to be strong and we wanted to support free speech rights on the Internet, we enacted this Section 230, and that makes it difficult for attorneys like us to get content like this taken down. It
0: does. Now, it's also a really important factor as to the explosion of very popular Internet services. I mean, Facebook, Yelp, Twitter, Reddit, I mean, these, these could not exist without... Um, a pretty strong immunity from being sued for defamation every time someone says some
1: shitty comment about someone. Absolutely, Absolutely. the internet would not exist in the way that it does without this section of law.
0: Yeah. yeah, so it's you know it's a double-edged sword. We need this to provide us with the ability to use these new services. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it gives these services an incentive to ignore defamation. They don't want to police it, you know. In fact, they could. If they do too much policing, they may be losing some of that liability.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or, or there's immunity. I'm sorry. Absolutely. There's a line where if they become content providers or they become editors of the content, uh, in some way they can face liability because that immunity is then lost. And you're right. There's a fine line, and there are ways that we can deal with it um, and get some of this content taken down. Sometimes we, we've been successful in. You know, basically pointing out to these sites, look, this is clearly false. Here's the facts that show that it is false. And some sites, like Yelp, have taken down content in the past when they've been provided with that evidence. Uh, other times, we have to sue, and we have to sue a John Doe defendant. We have to identify who they are through a subpoena, an early subpoena process, and then we have to amend the complaint to assert claims against the individual who posted that content. Um, we that 's been happening a lot lately, and you know that it 's a very costly process uh, so it 's reserved for a certain class of of client that you know who really has something damaging said about them on these sites
0: yeah it 's uh, difficult because lawsuits on this kind of stuff are very expensive, um, but there are some ways that we can help people get content removed short of a lawsuit. Um, and and typically it follows one of two ways is contacting the website itself and essentially asking them to remove it now we typically there's things you can do to try to make your case a little bit better you know the more objective facts you have to show their statements false uh, the better you know if someone says hey I ordered product uh, X and I got product Y well, if we have shipping records showing that they actually got the right thing, then that's grounds probably to take that statement off um, the other The other route is sometimes contacting the poster directly if you know that who that person is um but of course, this presents its other problems in the uh thestriisand effect right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Where
0: they may just, you know, if you're a company, you're a small company or an e-commerce company, you you have a complaint up on Yelp or somewhere about, oh, they treated me shitty or they had bad customer service or they sent me the wrong thing, and then you send that person a letter threatening to sue them, well, they may go right back on there and say, oh, not only did they give me shitty customer service, now they want to sue me.
1: And absolutely. And that, that may be even worse. It can definitely be worse. And there are ways that people have tried to, to fix that problem for example through their terms of use agreements they've said if you post a negative review about us we will sue you or you know whatever it might be those themselves have negative effects so if you're going to take the approach that th- this person or this website should be targeted by a threat letter then you really need to talk to somebody who understands the The thematic presence, for lack of a better word, of the internet, because the internet has its own folkways and and more, it has its own morals and its own tenor of how to deal with these problems. And you have to have somebody that knows how to navigate those things so that you don't cause further harm to your business.
0: Yeah. I mean, the terms of service, I mean, what do you think about those kinds of provisions? It seems like they're completely for show.
1: Well, it's great until somebody actually tries to enforce them and then the right. court says, what the hell were you doing?
0: Yeah. You can't stop someone from saying what they want to say.
1: No, it's a prior restraint on free speech.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I know we've had a lot of people ask us, you know, can we do stuff like that? And yeah, that's the answer. Sure, you can do it. We want to advise it. it doesn't, it's meaningless. It's not going to help you in the long run.
1: And um, wait till it ends up in a Reddit thread. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. You're asking to be exposed.
0: Um, You know, the answer would be, you know, provide such great customer service that these complaints are never uh, lodged instead of trying to backload terms of agreements that say you can't say certain things. So, you know, it's a tough one. There's people are going to say stuff and they're going to hide behind their their anonymous keyboard and they're going to say whatever they want. Point is businesses do have options to try to get this stuff removed. It's nice to see Yelp really taking an active role and probably going to delete most of these kind of congrats statements. I would assume they would delete all of them. Um, you know, they have nothing to do with how he's acting as a criminal defense attorney. And if, you know, none of these people even know him. They watch the documentary, and, and I don't think it's, I don't think it is. Um, Yelp shouldn't be used to do that.
1: No, these sites are made to provide consumer information to the consuming public. It's like the old test of, you know, um, should we allow attorneys to advertise? Yes, we should allow attorneys to advertise because they provide truthful information to the public that will inform them on how to make a decision about hiring an attorney. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the purpose of Yelp in these cases. And information that's extraneous to them uh, probably is going to get deleted.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would hope so. Um, It's not, you know, it's 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 hard when when customers call us and and, you know people have complaints that are just one hundred percent opinion. Those are probably going to be harder to remove. But when people make these kind of factual allegations, oh, they have, you know, health code violations, and then you can submit evidence to Yelp that actually you've received you know a grade A health review every time, then you should have that comment removed. I mean, it it is defamatory. And if you look at Yelp's own terms of service, you know, they expressly say they don't allow defamatory comment. Um, And they, they usually have these community guidelines. You know, every site will treat it a little different. But usually we can pull out some language from there, provide some evidence, and say, hey, Yelp, enforce your own rules. You know, if you have these rules, enforce them and remove this stuff. Otherwise, why did you even make these terms of service?
1: Yeah, and maybe Kaczynski and Kratz will become European citizens and then use the right to be forgotten to get rid of this content, Yes.
0: Yeah, that is a very interesting idea and one that we've had questions about, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's an option now that this Irish court has said that uh, this right to be forgotten is a thing and that content can be removed from Google and other places. If you're a European citizen, you may have the right to be forgotten online. And maybe that's a decent approach. Who knows? There is some sense that Kratz has sought redemption. He, his license was suspended for a short period of time. Apparently, he was addicted by his own admission to prescription drugs. And he says he's cleaned up. And Kaczynski is now apparently a judge. <laughs> yes. Ken
0: K- Ken Kaczynski, Len K- Kaczynski, sorry, is a judge. He's a municipal judge in some small county in Wisconsin, Manasha. Oh, God. <laughs>
1: oh. I think
0: anyone that has watched that documentary and finds out he is a judge has the same reaction of really, he is a judge. He is a judge. He is the one that wields power. Now, I don't, it's hard to tell what a municipal court judge really does. I'm guessing it's some kind of low level, looks like traffic. Forfeiture kind of limited trial proceedings, but nonetheless,
1: yeah, it doesn't take much to be a judge, it's a political position. So, the next yeah. time somebody gets a ruling, or the next time you get a ruling not in your favor, just remember Len Kaczynski is a judge,
0: yeah, yeah. Judges are not, they're judges are lawyers, that's what they are, and they're lawyers who have political aspirations usually and uh it, listen nothing wrong with being a judge i think it'd be fun to be a judge i would um but they're political positions they're elected for the most part at least they are in michigan and you know they're driven by politics um and i'm not saying that
1: outcomes are
0: always political politically driven but the way you get that job is political
1: yeah definitely And at the end of the day, they're human just like everybody else is, and, you know, they make mistakes, and that's the system that we've got. It's the best system so far, so we have to deal with it.
0: Yeah, it is, and and this is, you know, when you can find those examples where it seems like everything is going wrong, yeah, you know, it makes you question things about how we do it, but, uh, you know, this... What can you do? This is the best system, I I think, as far as, you know, criminal procedure and the, you know, the right to, you know, jury trial and being proven guilty beyond reasonable doubt, it's usually a tough task. And I think the jury here in the Stephen Avery issue, you know, first of all, they found him guilty on murder, but they found him not guilty on mutilation, which you know, it's what, pretty bizarre. It yeah. makes no sense. Like, either he did it or he didn't. And so, you know, right there, it seems like the jury is confused, but they wanted some retribution, it seems like. And I don't know, maybe who's to say what you would do in that position hearing all the real evidence, but uh, I think it goes to show the kind of pressure a juror would feel about potentially letting a murderer go
1: yeah i completely agree with you and and as a wrap-up let me ask you this do you think that the cops just in your opinion do you think that the cops in this case uh set him up
0: someone i feel like someone set him up i don't know who it certainly seems the evidence to me just nothing made sense the no blood why why did they find the key so late why is her dna not on the key uh where did this bullet come from why did no one find it in the first place the car why would you park the car on the very outskirts of this enormous Lot of cars, yeah made like, no sense. It, you you couldn 't place that car in a easier spot to find it than on the very outskirts where someone immediately walks in at the way it was covered up with branches makes no sense if you really wanted to hide the car, you 'd put it in the car crusher that 's on the lot that 's operational
1: why why are there bones in multiple locations makes yeah, absolutely no sense that was another and i don 't mean to to harp on this, but. Why was there no evidence of, okay, if she had a cell phone on her and the cell phone was in the fire, wouldn't there be some chemical trace of lithium ion burning or nickel cadmium or one of those chemicals that would show that the cell phone was burned in that location? There's so many, like, pieces of chemical, objective chemical evidence that I feel should have been present that weren't.
0: Yeah. I was confused as to, like, just, oh, it was assumed. It was so quickly said, like, these were her bones and, like... They never re- really went over the testing of any of that. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is her. That seemed weird. And then you kind of didn't really find out until later that there's actually bones in, like, very different locations. Like, if you are a murderer and you burn someone in your backyard, do you really take only the hip bones
1: and move them, like, three miles away? Yeah, and, and the only scenario in which you would is if you were dismembering, the, this is getting morbid, but if you were dismembering the body, and then the, where's that evidence? What tool was used? And if the tool exists, or if they had a theory on the tool, was it cleaned? Was there a theory about the cleaning? I mean, where is all this evidence? It's crazy.
0: And, and why, you know, the, there was a, her blood was in the back of a car, and they said it was from her hair. It was bloody hair that left this trail of blood on the back of her car, Why, if they killed her in the house or in the garage and then burned her in the backyard, why would they ever put her in the car? Yeah, I have no idea. So, like, the timing, and then, of course, there was issues with the timing. There was issues with the two guys that had their own alibis that both went hunting independently. uh, And they were the only ones that could cover each other's alibis. There's the voicemails that go missing. The why is there blood in the back of a car? Is it was it really his blood? There's so much question as to what's going on, but I think, you know, the the media had an impact, I think, on the outcome of that case. I think, yeah, one of those jurors even said it. One of the jurors that was dismissed said a few of the people had their mind made up before the trial started and that's what yeah. the defense attorneys always said they go well we think we're doing a good job but if people aren't made up their mind there's nothing we can do
1: yeah absolutely and to answer my own question i from my perspective i want to hope that the police didn't set this guy up i want to hope that the police saw this guy as a threat they were acting overzealously and maybe they planted that key because they felt like Otherwise, they didn't have enough evidence to convict him, but they knew that he did it or they thought that he did it. I just hope that these people are not so nefarious to, like, set this entire thing up. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't –
0: I mean, I don't think the police went out and killed this lady and then tried to frame him. No, I don't think they did either. And that's what happened in his first conviction. Someone else did it, but the police, for some reason, keyed in on him
1: yeah that they had the sketch artist who <laughs> oh my God I <laughs> it was wish insane. that first I would have loved that first episode to never
0: end because they were just nailing people so good,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the audience, the sketch artist basically took a photo from <laughs> from a lineup and then sketched the the uh <laughs> concept from from that photo the concept of who the killer was. it's crazy,
0: yeah, he took it right from a photo that he already had on his desk.
1: Oh, well. it was terrible anyway that's all i've got Do you got anything else uh no no i think
0: i i think we wanted to talk about those hopefully you know it's nice to hear other attorneys talking about those because it's you know probably one of the first times and we've all seen crime shows and stuff like that but this was really in-depth about motion practice and what they're trying to keep out and experts and reasonable doubt and jurors and so hopefully we sh- help shed some light of course if anyone has questions for us about how things were handled you can certainly contact us through revisionlegal.com on our facebook page uh, on twitter ask us anything you want we'll be happy to fill in what gaps we can um but yeah that's it it's it's almost new year's michigan state's playing in the cotton bowl yeah go green can't wait go white big game for us as msu alums and uh i think that's all i got
1: Yeah, have a happy new year, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon.